I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything. How can the law be material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics Podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, Our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today. Welcome back to another podcast episode of Revealed Apologetics. I am your host, Elias Ayala, and today um, we're going to be doing something super interesting. At least I think it's interesting, and I hope you find it um, interesting as well. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about apologetic methodology, okay? And um, not so much apologetic methodology as a whole. I'm not going into major details of different apologetic methodologies like classicalism or evidentialism or anything like that. Um, If anyone has listened to my podcast in the past, you will know that I am a presuppositional apologist, and so I follow a specific apologetic methodology. And um, I want to talk about an, an important element of presuppositional apologetic, and that is the issue of neutrality, this idea that we should not be neutral in our apologetic approach. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, uh, what that means, and I'm going to couch it within the context of a book that was written by um, the great, late Greg Bonson, a Christian philosopher that I've been very heavily influenced by in my thinking. Um, And uh, we'll get into the details of that in just a few, um, in just a few moments. So, um, when we get to that, I uh, will. I'll let you know when we kind of officially start that aspect of of the podcast episode. Just by way of quick announcement, um, I, I've been getting a lot of positive feedback in regards to the interviews that I've been conducting, and I'm looking forward to getting many more uh, noted uh, apologists and Christian philosophers um, on the show to discuss things related to a presuppositional apologetics. If, if anyone is um, Aware, the purpose of Revealed Apologetics is to promote apologetics, but more specifically, the presuppositional approach. And so I want to get more folks on here that um, that can help me talk about those issues and unpack it for both the uh, the lay apologist listening, 
the average Christian listening, and of course, the more advanced people who want to get a firmer grasp on the methodology. Um, And so hopefully we can um, move towards that end. Um, Also, for those who might not know, I am a Calvinist. I am Reformed in my theology. Um, And of course, so part of apologetics is defending Christian truth. And because I'm a Calvinist, I believe Calvinism reflects accurately biblical truth. And so part of apologetics um, is defending Calvinism as well. And so um, I'm not saying that, that... Anyone who's not a Calvinist is not a Christian or anything like that. I understand that there is uh, broad uh, traditions and and theological positions, and of course I I respect that, but I am convinced that Reformed theology accurately captures uh, what the Bible is teaching. And so, uh, for my Reformed audience, um, I want to also help equip them in defending uh, the Reformed position from the Scriptures. And so, um, I think that's an important aspect. Of course, if you had a podcast and you you weren't a Calvinist and you were, say, an Arminian, um, I don't agree with Arminianism, but if you are an Arminian and you believe that your position can be backed up by Scripture, I would not... um, I would not hold that against you in the sense that I think you have every right to try and defend your view biblically. That's what we sh- we should be doing. We should be testing our views against the scriptures. And when we um, firmly kind of plant our flag down on a position, then we should be willing to uh, engage with opposition um, with biblical support. All right. So that's basically what I'm doing. Um, and since it's my podcast, <laughs> that's the that's the position I choose to defend and um, and promote. And of course, um, I, I do see people who are of the non-reformed tradition um, as my brothers in Christ as well. This is just uh, an area that I find great interest in. So uh, that said, uh, my upcoming guest is going to be Chris Date. Chris Date is a reformed Christian. Um, he has appeared on the unbelievable. Um, show uh, hosted by Justin Brierley over in uh, in England. In, uh, I think it's in London. It kind of records out of London, I think. Um, and Unbelievable is an awesome podcast in which uh, the host, Justin Brierley, kind of does what I do in the sense that he has people that he interviews. Mostly, though, he usually hosts debates or informal discussions between people of varying theological and philosophical positions. And so in that regard, I I highly recommend Unbelievable as a great resource to um, seeing what it looks like for opposing ideas to kind of go back and forth. And so um, Justin Brierley has a a much greater platform than I do, but I have no qualms in promoting uh, that show. Um, it is a great resource for apologetics. All right. Well, that being said, we're going to have Chris Date on February 29th, um, and I believe that's a Saturday. And I'll be we'll be recording around 12:30 Eastern time. That will not be live uh, when the interview is over. I'll post it. We're going to be covering the topic of answering objections to Calvinism. Okay. Now, just one more thing before I kind of get started on the main chunk of this episode is that Chris Date is, is very well known for his controversial views on hell. I, I believe he holds to a view known as uh, conditional immortality. I think that's what the view is called. And um, I personally don't hold to that view, and I know some people give him a flack for holding to that view, which I will not get into details here. Um, but I do not hold to that view, that view specifically, but I do not believe that views on hell impinge upon what we call essential doctrines. And so before anyone casts judgments, how can you have someone like Chris Date on your show? Well, well, guess what? Uh, Chris Date is a fine Christian brother. I've spoken to him um, on the phone 
over different issues and different topics, and I find him to be very respectful, a very well-grounded, biblically speaking, uh, Christian. And even though we don't agree on everything, I think he still has some great insight that we can learn from, especially as he defends Reformed theology. Do I agree with everything? Uh, probably not. But uh, that I don't want to have this uh, podcast as kind of an echo chamber of, of just always talking with people that you know, I agree with on literally every jot and tittle. So I'm, I'm looking very forward to my discussion with Chris Date on answering objections to Calvinism. That's February 29th. And hopefully we'll get the, um, we'll get Sam Shamoon on here to talk about Islam. If you guys are not familiar with Sam Shamoon, very great resource on Islam and defending the Trinity and things like that. Um, and, uh, Hopefully we can get some more presuppositionalists in too. I do have some plans on getting some really good presuppositional thinkers so that we can unpack a little bit more of the methodology. Um, all right. Well, that being said, uh, let me kind of introduce what I want to do here in this uh, episode. As I said before, I have been very heavily influenced by Christian philosopher Greg Bonson and Cornelius Van Til, who are really um, very strong influences Upon the presuppositional method, Van Til is understood to be the really the father of presuppositional apologetics. And if you don't know what presuppositional apologetics is, um, you can look it up. <laughs> uh, this episode is not uh, to define the methodology, but but basically, if I could define the methodology in a very thumbnail sketch, uh, the presuppositional position is that only the Christian worldview provides a rational basis for intelligibility, for human experience, for anything whatsoever. It is the Christian understanding of the world that gives meaning and coherency and cogency to everything else that we do. Um, and you usually will see the uh, argument laid out thusly, uh, that the proof for the truth of the Christian worldview is that if it were not true, you couldn't prove anything at all. Um, and so uh, along those lines, of course, that, that needs to be hammered out a, a little bit, but along those lines, we would uh, engage in a worldview conflict with the unbeliever. All unbelieving perspectives, we argue, um, are, are insufficient in providing the foundation for knowledge, science, um, and anything else for that matter. You take any item of human experience and we ask, which worldview can make sense out of that item of human experience? And we argue only the Christian worldview can, okay? So there's a lot more, obviously, to unpack there, but I am not going to unpack that here. Uh, that's just in a very brief thumbnail sketch what presuppositional apologetics is. It is a worldview apologetic methodology, um, and we very much are interested in people's pre- Suppositions, that which they bring to argumentation, that's what, that which they bring to the table when they're discussing any topic whatsoever. We all have presuppositions, and those presuppositions affect how we interpret the world around us. And if those presuppositions are problematic, then your interpretations of reality will be problematic as well. And so um, that's basically uh, presuppositional apologetics in a nutshell. Well, uh, today I want to um, introduce you, if you have not heard, of Greg Bonson. Greg Bonson was a Christian philosopher um, and a very influential uh, Christian uh, philosopher and proponent of presuppositional apologetics. He was a student of Cornelius Van Til, who really developed the system and, and kind of um, uh, laid out for people uh, what it means, as I see it, to argue and engage in apologetics 
biblically. Now, there's a great criticism of Van Til that he did not um, engage in a lot of exegesis of his methodology, and he did, in fact, admit that. Um, he wished he would have gone more into the biblical exegetical grounds for his methodology. But um, laying that aspect of his apologetic methodology out was kind of given over to his disciples, Greg Bonson. Um, provided great exegetical work in regards to providing a biblical basis for presuppositional apologetics. And that is where I'm turning to now. There is a book, and I highly recommend that people buy this book. It's, it's, kind of, it's an old book, but it is a very good book in providing an introductory um, uh, analysis of the presuppositional method, and it is very much rooted in scripture, and he provides various biblical defenses and explanations as to how this methodology is to be put forth from a biblical perspective. And so I think that's a very, very important aspect of the presuppositional method. We we are not just defending, as Christian apologists, the Christian worldview, but we're seeking to defend the Christian worldview in a way and in a fashion that is consistent with scripture itself. Because as I said at the beginning here, Everyone has a worldview. Everyone has an ultimate foundation upon which they base everything else that they do. And for the Christian, what is that ultimate foundation? Well, it's the Word of God, right? The Word of God is God's Word, and God being the highest in authority, there is nothing external to God that can validate God's Word. God is the highest authority. And so the Scriptures must play a prominent role in the defense of the faith. The scriptures is that ultimate foundation in which the Christian is not to forsake, to remove from discussion. We are defending the Christian worldview, and our commitment is to Christ. And this is very much related to the key apologetic passage in scripture, which is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which says to set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you, yet doing so with gentleness and respect. And I think the big mistake that people do when they're engaging in apologetics is they highlight the fact of that verse, which speaks of always being ready. And then we go into the word of apologia to give to give an answer, to give a defense. And we forget that the prerequisite for always being ready is to set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. It is the Lordship of Jesus Christ with which we are to engage in apologetics, that he is the Lord of our mind, the Lord of our thinking, as the scriptures teach that we are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And oftentimes when we are defending the faith, uh, we don't do that. We often give way too much to the unbeliever and we agree to think on his grounds and on his foundation to find some kind of common ground between the two parties. Um, and this is to our detriment. It produces a weak apologetic. And uh, rather, we are to stand on the firm foundation of God's word, the worldview out of which uh, we are to hold to the worldview that flows from the soil of Scripture. And in that sense, we are to avoid neutrality in our thinking, the sort of attitude that says, well, let's not assume the Bible. Let's not assume anything, and let's just follow the evidence where it leads. Um, this idea of being neutral is a myth. No one is neutral. Everyone has a foundation. The Christian must be open and honest about his foundation. We are committed to the Word of God, and we are going to argue and defend the Word of God in a way that is consistent with the very Word of God. We do not cast aside the Lordship of Christ. Rather, it is the Lordship of Christ that governs our apologetic. And so what I want to do 
is as I've just uh, introduced Greg Bonson uh, before, is a, a very influential Christian philosopher that has um, held a, a great influence over my own thinking. Um, he wrote a book called Pushing the Antithesis. Pushing the Antithesis. Now, do not be uh, misled. <laughs> that title sounds very, well, is this a, 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 a philosophical work that's going to just be filled with so much uh, mush and, and confusion and abstract thinking? Well, not at all. Um, apart from the uh, what appears to be a technical title of the book, um, Pushing the Antithesis is actually an introduction uh, to presuppositional apologetics, and it's very much grounded in a scriptural presentation of how we are to do apologetics. And so with that, um, the chapters in the book are super short. And so what I want to do is I want to read through various chapters and perhaps make some comments here and there. Um, but hopefully you can learn from uh, the importance of each aspect that he goes through. With In regards to this specific episode, we're going to be talking about the, the problems with being neutral in apologetics. Okay, And so chapter one of his book is entitled The Robbery of Neutrality. And so what I want to do is I want to read through uh, the chapter. It's short. And hopefully uh, make some comments and... Uh, and I'll let you know when I'm dipping inside and out of the book, you know, when I'm saying my own words and, and when Bonson, when I'm reading from his work here. So I highly recommend Pushing the Antithesis. I think you could download it on Kindle or something or uh, buy it on Amazon, but it is definitely a great resource. If people ask me, what book should I get on apologetics? Pushing the Antithesis. Great book. Um, and it's not as complicated as it sounds, okay? So, so chapter one, The Robbery of Neutrality. Okay, and so Bonson begins. The plea for Christians to surrender to neutrality in their thinking is not an uncommon one. Nevertheless, it strikes at the very heart of our faith and of our faithfulness to the Lord. Sometimes the demand to assume a neutral stance, a non-committal attitude toward the truthfulness of Scripture, is heard in the area of Christian scholarship, whether it be in the field of history, science, literature, philosophy, or whatever. Teachers, researchers, and writers are often led to think that honesty demands for them to put aside all distinctly Christian commitments when they study in an area which is not directly related to matters of Sunday worship. They reason that since truth is truth wherever it may be found, one should be able to search for truth under the guidance of the acclaimed thinkers in the field, even if they are secular in their outlook. Is it really necessary to hold to the teachings of the Bible if you are to understand properly the War of 1812? the chemical composition of water, the plays of Shakespeare, or the rules of logic, such is the rhetorical question of those who are disposed to insist on neutrality from Christians working in scholarly areas. Now, uh, Bonson, this is my words now, Bonson is 100% correct here. The rule in scholarship is neutrality, right? You don't need to have biblical commitments to properly understand areas of history and philosophy and logic. And so there's almost this attitude of indifference. Yeah, there's a, a tipping of the hat. Yeah, we all have worldviews. We all have bias, but we need to be as unbiased as possible. And so folks will often uh, present this attitude of neutrality that we can be indifferent in regards to ultimate issues. And this is very much mistaken it is an inappropriate way of engaging in any form of scholarship, and it is really, if you think about it, it's a myth. No one can do that. Everyone has a worldview, and everyone has a foundation, and everyone has a bias that affects how they interpret and do anything whatsoever. Okay? Bonson continues, Sometimes the demand for neutrality arises in the realm of apologetics, the defense of the faith. We are told by some apologists that they would lose all hearing with the unbelieving world, if they were to approach the question of Scripture's truthfulness with a preconceived answer to the question. 
We must be willing, according to this outlook, to approach the debate with unbelievers with a common attitude of neutrality, a nobody-knows-as-yet attitude. We must assume as little as possible at the outset, we're told, and this means that we cannot assume any Christian premises or teachings of the Bible. Oftentimes, the plea for neutrality in the thinking of the believer comes with reference to schools. Some Christians feel that there is no real urgency for Christian schools, that secular education is all right as far as it goes, and that it needs only to be supplemented with Christian prayer and Bible reading in the home. Thus, the idea is that one can be neutral when it comes to education. One's Christian faith need not dictate any particular assumptions or way of learning about the world and man. We are told that the facts are the same at state schools as they are at Christian schools. So why insist that your children be taught by committed believers in Jesus Christ? All right, now I'm kind of pulling back. This is my own words. <laughs> How important is that paragraph that I just wrote, right? Um, education is not neutral. And, uh, to show that education is not neutral, when I teach my class, I, I, when I used to teach um, history, at a Christian private school, um, I used to ask my students, everyone look at the table of contents and find the chapter on the history and the development of toilets in the United States. And, uh, and when you find it, we'll begin reading. <laughs> okay. Now, of course, the students frantically look at the table of contents and they're looking the the, the history of uh, the development of toilets in the United States. You know, this is not in, in, in our textbook. And of course, the answer is, is that's right. It's not in the textbook. You see, in reality, in the construction of the social studies textbook, there are people choosing to include that which they see as important and excluding that which they see as unimportant, you see. And so what is the standard and measurement by which one chooses what is included in a textbook and what is excluded in a textbook? You see, no one is, is neutral. We all have standards that we, what we deem to be important and non-important. And of course, um, talks about God, talks about Christianity, right? If a person is uh, picking chapters in a book and, and thinks of religion as unimportant, then they will exclude the relevant discuss discussions of religion and the development of Christianity and the importance of certain beliefs and things like that. You see, the reality is no one is neutral. We all have worldview commitments, and those commitments will deem and, and regulate what we think are important and unimportant, okay? And so that's a very important thing to keep in mind. Bonson continues, Well then, in these and many other areas, we can see that the Christian is called upon to surrender his distinctive religious beliefs, to temporarily put them on the shelf, to take a neutral attitude in his thinking. Satan would love this to happen. More than anything else, this would prevent the conquest of the world to belief in Jesus Christ as Lord. More than anything else, this would make professing Christians impotent in their witness, aimless in their walk, disarmed in their battle with the principalities and powers of this world. More than anything else, such neutrality would prevent sanctification in the Christian's life, for Christ said that his followers were, to, were sanctified, set apart by the truth. Immediately he went on to declare, Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. Whatever some people may say with respect to the demand for neutrality in the Christian's thought, the demand that believers not be set aside from other men by their adherence to God's truth, the fact is that Scripture sharply differs with this demand. Contrary to neutrality's demand, God's word demands unreserved allegiance to God and his truth in all our thought and scholarly endeavors. It does so for a good reason. I'm going to repeat that again. This is a very important sentence. Contrary to neutrality's demands, God's word demands unreserved allegiance to God and his truth 
in all our thought and scholarly endeavors. Remember that scripture, right? We must bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And if it's every thought, then that includes every thought that is involved in our scholarly endeavors, our ministry endeavors, our uh, jobs in regards to our normal run-of-the-mill jobs in secular society. Every thought is to be governed by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Bonson says this is, this scripture says this for a good reason. He continues, Paul infallibly declares in Colossians 2, 3 through 8, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ. Note, he says all wisdom and knowledge is deposited in the person of Christ, whether it be about the War of 1812, Waters' chemical composition, the literature of Shakespeare, the Shakespeare, or the laws of logic. Every academic pursuit and every thought must be related to Jesus Christ, for Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. To avoid, in, uh, to avoid Christ in your thought at any point, then, is to be misled, untruthful, and spiritually dead. To put aside your Christian commitments when it comes to defending the faith or sending your children to school is willfully to steer away from the only path to wisdom and truth found in Christ. It is not the end or outcome of knowledge. Uh, I'm sorry. It is not the end or outcome of knowledge to fear the Lord. It is the beginning of knowledge to reverence Him, as per Proverbs one seven and nine ten. Okay, now I'm not going to get into the other controversial issue of whether you should send your your kid to a Christian school or a private school or whatever, or a public school. Um, That's beside the point. Of course, Bonson was very much uh, in support of uh, private school and Christian education. Um, And so we're not going to address that issue. But the point is um, that education is not neutral and we should not engage in neutrality because neutrality would force us to set aside our commitment to the Lordship of Christ in our thinking. Um, Without going into so much detail right now, because then I'll I'll never get finished, but understanding the War of 1812, understanding water's chemical composition, requires the context of the Christian worldview to make intelligible. Okay? And that was part of the argument. Remember I said at the beginning, um, where I said that presuppositional apologetics is the position that the Christian worldview is the only basis upon which rationality can be derived. Um, And again, that would require some more hashing out. But again, notice that his defense here that Bonson is laying out for us is that neutrality in our thinking about anything and neutrality in our thinking in regards to apologetics is unbiblical and is to set aside the Lordship of Christ who is said to be the way, the truth, and the life. It is contrary to the idea where Jesus says, thy word is truth in John 17, 17. We do not set that aside to engage on the unbeliever's uh, playing field. The unbeliever who denies the lordship of Christ, who denies the relationship between God as our grounding of knowledge itself. You see, the unbeliever believes himself to be autonomous, that it does, he does not require God to come to knowledge. He is his own ultimate standard. The Christian is not to engage in that sort of thinking. Bonson continues, Paul declares that all knowledge must be related to Christ. Then according to Colossians 2, he says this for our protection. It is very dangerous to fail to see the necessity of Christ in all our thinking. So Paul draws to our attention the impossibility of neutrality in order that no one delude you with crafty speech, he says. Instead, we must, as Paul exhorts, be steadfast, confirmed, rooted and established in the faith as we were taught, verse 7. One must be presuppositionally committed to Christ in the world of thought rather than neutral and firmly tied down to the faith which he has been taught. 
or else the persuasive argumentation of secular thought will delude him. Hence, the Christian is obligated to presuppose the word of Christ in every area of knowledge. and uh, The alternative is delusion, right? We stand firm on God as the truth. To not stand firm on God is to build your house. I'm speaking now. Bonson's not speaking, <laughs> okay? It is to build your house of thought on the ruinous sands of human autonomy, right? A worldview built on the sands of human autonomy, the view where man is the ultimate standard, that is a house built on a weak foundation. When the storms of philosophical uh, turbulence uh, hits us, when standing on the sands of human autonomy, our house will fall. And that's why we need to build our house on the rock, the firm rock solid truth of God's word. Bonson continues. In verse 8 of Colossians 2, Paul says, Beware lest any man rob you by means of philosophy and vain deceit. By attempting to be neutral in your thought, you are a prime target for being robbed. Robbed by vain philosophy of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge which are deposited in Christ alone. Paul explains that vain philosophy is that which follows the world and not Christ. It is thinking which submits to the world's demands for neutrality rather than being uh, presuppositionally committed to Christ in all of our thinking. And he goes on to say, Are you rich in knowledge because of your commitment to Christ and scholarship, apologetics, schooling, or have you been robbed by the demands of neutrality? Now, that concludes the first chapter. Pretty short, relatively speaking. The robbery of neutrality. Not only is neutrality, this is me speaking now, not only is neutrality unbiblical, but if you engage in the defense of the faith in a neutral fashion, you are being robbed of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are grounded in Christ and in Christ alone. Let us avoid neutrality in our thinking. Let us admit our bias right there at the start that we are committed to the Lordship of Christ and to deny the Lordship of Christ is to have your intellectual house built on sand. And in the apologetic encounter between the Christian and the non-Christian, our job is to expose that weak foundation and show it for what it is. All right, well that include, uh, concludes this episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and if you are enjoying this content, um, you can uh, email me and let me know at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover, um, you could email me there as well. If you want to invite me to your church as a speaker uh, doing workshops and apologetics, I do that as well. I go around uh, Long Island, New York and um, uh, across the country and I, I do things like this. So um, you can contact me um, if you'd like. Um, and uh, well, that concludes uh, this episode. I hope you found this um, edifying and helpful. Um, until the next time, I believe our next um, episode will be with Chris Dayton, so I'm looking forward to doing that and talking a little bit of uh, Reformed theology. Take care, and God bless. Bye-bye.